Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Thrawn, and you're listening to Execute Chapter 66. The New Republic sucks. I'm kidding, of course. They don't actually run spice. <sighs> hate you so much. I served during Alderaan. Why does Claudia Gray love us so much? In the end, everyone learns the lessons that fairs suck. I served during Alderaan. And I'm very worried for all these characters. She was kind of a badass in the Clone Wars. I served during Alderaan. That tech figure is ridiculous, and you should be ashamed. There might be some hot twin-on-twin flirting. You wanted the best? Well, you got the best. It's Chiss! <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> As we're proud of that one. Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we are talking about the newest book from the High Republic, Out of the Shadows by Justina Ireland. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course, with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Shank. Over to you, Chad. Please remember that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. Also, over the course of our conversation, we may spoil anything else Star Wars. So that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, what's going on? It is a pretty light news cycle this time. Today we got the new Hunters trailer, the new video game. They have announced it will come out early next year. I have watched the trailer. I've watched gameplay. I still have no idea what you do in this game. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's it's one of those games the kids play. Like, I can't tell. I think it might be a some sort of mobile game. I'm not real sure. Is it like a MOBA or something? Like a League of Legends type of thing? I, I think maybe. Um, it looks like you can, like, design your character. I mean, there's some, like, really funny characters that you can play there's like a droid jedi there's two jedi or two uh jawas that are standing on each other's shoulders to make <laughs> one giant person there's a weird ugnot controlling a destroyer droid so i mean the characters are all really funny i just don't know what this game is so i'm i'll probably still get it and play it but you know and our next visions uh, the new Disney Plus show will come out on uh, September, excuse me, September 22nd, so next week. What? Yeah, it's it's coming. What? Quick. It's oh, time. Oh, sweet. Sweet. Okay. And I did not know this. I'm assuming they announced it before, but all nine episodes will be released on the first day. So they aren't going to go oh, week no. by week. It is all of them at once. So it is, I don't know if maybe they don't have confidence in it or if they just you know because of the anthology format if they feel better about that they've said all the episodes are between 13 and 22 minutes but we'll see they released uh character bios of all the protagonists and the antagonists and some of them look really cool like and the stories sound really neat like i've gone from kind of being on the fence about this one to pretty excited about it i like the trailer a lot Mm -hmm. yeah i thought the trailer was excellent speaking of trailers we finally got an official reveal of the worst kept secret in Star Wars. They have remade KOTOR. Mm-hmm. It will exclusively be released for the PlayStation 5 and PC to start with. And then supposedly it'll come to everything else after. There was a little confusion on the press release if it's going to come out on PS5 before PC. And they haven't 100% clarified it. But people think those two are going to come out 
on the same time. And the trailer looks great. Like, you know, it's just Darts Revan, but it looks good. Have they said how deep they're going with the, is it with the revamp? Uh, we just know that obviously they've upgraded the graphics and that the combat has been updated for today's gamers. Not real sure what that means. Right. Um, if maybe some of the turn-based stuff's going to go a little faster. or I don't know how twitchier. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I, I like the turn-based stuff. It, it required me to have very little skill. I'm not very twitchy. Well, I'm very twitchy, as you know, but not. Not that kind of twitchy. Not that kind of twitchy. No. Yeah. No, I wasn't paying attention. Bioware worked on this one too. I'm not. I think they did. Because Bioware must be just out of ideas if they're just going with remakes lately. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's a license to print money. People have wanted yeah. this thing for so long that. Here's the question that I saw posed on Star Wars Explained: Will this make it canon? <sighs> it's a good question. I don't know. I don't you know. know. We know Revan is in canon. Yes. Um, yeah. Now, which version of Revan, if it's this or if it's whatever they decide to do down the line. I mean, there's nothing in Old Republic that really can't be in canon I, that I know of. For the popularity this has, why not? If you're not going to go all the way back, you know, if you're not going to bring Revan forward or anything like that, just put it back in canon. I wonder if it has, I wonder if it's dependent on Taika's movie or something. I don't know. Hmm. <clears throat> Well, and that's a good question. If Taika's movie is, what's it called, Dawn of the Jedi, or some version of Dawn of the Jedi, that could affect some stuff with Tython. And, uh, Crimson Rain, the new comic we've talked about some, has been delayed a month. You know, people are kind of suspecting. We kind of think that War of the Bounty Hunters might be running a little behind. Uh, but more interesting on one of the covers they've revealed, the new one, Ren of the infamous Knights of Ren, is going to be in it. We've seen Ren before in that, uh, what do they call it? It was the um, Ben Solo, you know, kind of his fall to the dark side comic. Was it called just Rise of Color Ren? Yeah, yeah. Rise of Color Ren, mm-hmm. yeah. It was, that was, because that was Sewell too. Yeah, which is... Not good. Not good. Um, <laughs> but maybe they'll, you know, make Ren a little better. He rocks a shirtless mask look, which is always a bold choice. So... <laughs> And then in kind of sad news, Tom Kane has announced his retirement. Um, he is the voice of you know Yoda, and he's the narrator of the Clone Wars. Um, he suffered a stroke a little while ago and is no longer able to do voice work. So mm. that batch looks like it'll be the last time we get to hear the old war film kind of Clone Wars stuff. Yeah, that's right. He'd been, he's been doing Yoda since the movie, right? Yeah. So that's all we got for news this week. Since we're talking about High Republic tonight, I'll start with the High Republic books. High Republic number nine, the main book, so now finally fully joining the Wave 2 storyline, deals with the Jedi response to the attack on Valo and their attempts to hunt down the Nile, features a very angry and traumatized Keith Trennis, who embarks on a very dangerous mission. That's by Kevin Scott and Ario Anandito. Uh, then there's also High Republic Adventures number eight came out by Daniel Older and Tony Bruno. Just kind of continuing the story of the the dual stories of Zine as she learns the way of the Force, which I don't know if they're making her a Jedi or not. It's kind of confusing. And then Crix, who um, uh, her best friend, who is now Marshawn Rose Lapdog, who's getting more and more Nihil every day. And it turns out there's a Jedi temple on Takodana. Did we already know that? I don't know. It, I, I don't think we knew that. Well, hmm. at least there was back then. I don't know. I also read. Oh, and then also um, the trade paperback 
for High Republic issues number one through five also came out. If you're someone that prefers reading your stuff in trade, the first High Republic trade paperback did come out. I also read High Republic Edge of Balance, volume one, which is the manga for High Republic. It's written by Shima Shinya and Justina Ireland. Well, of course, you know, one of the big High Republic novelists with art by Mizuki Sakakibara. It's just volume one. I don't know how many there are going to be. It's got a very dashing looking Stellan Geos. We get to meet a Wookiee Jedi master. Sorry, Burry, but this guy's a real badass. And it stars a young Jedi named Lily, her Padawan Kirin, and a couple of younglings who have an encounter with the Drengear. It's, it it's, uh, kind of takes place around the same time as Rising Storm. If you like High Republic and don't mind reading manga, I think it's worth it. But to be clear, it is manga. It's not only in its artistic style, but in tone, writing, pacing. So just be warned. Um, I would recommend it, but thus far, it does not seem like essential High Republic reading. But that could change if any of these characters turn up in other things. We could be a two years from now and, and Lily could show up in a book and all of a sudden be like, where did she come from? Be like, well, you got to go back and read the manga now. Well, it's all going to be it's, it's all going to be essential reading because all these characters are going to show up doing other things. They've all done it so far. I hope so, because I really like Lily. Then over in the main books, we have the War of the Bounty Hunters. We had only two books to talk about. We've got Dr. Afro number 14 by Wong and Sabatini. We're still doing the Han Solo auction. Um, in this one, Afra and Santa find themselves in the brig of Crimson Dawn's flagship and team up with some kind of friends uh, to stage a jailbreak. Then we have War of the Bounty Hunters number four, the main book by Charles Sewell and Luke Ross. Look, bringing back Kira, A+. Bringing back Crimson Dawn, A++. So many great character moments in War of the Bounty Hunters. But we know how this is going to end. We've known how it's going to end since 1983. And it's moving very slowly. And I'm starting to get tired. This issue has a lot of huts in it. Dengar and his psychic Valance finally show up in the main book. And Boba drops a seismic charge from Slave One, which would make his papa proud. The problem I'm having with some of these stories, and it's probably not fair, but the problem is that the events in them have gotten so huge but the characters in the movies don't feel like they've lived these events, if that makes sense, right? Like, because they didn't. There is no War of the Bounty Hunters. It's a misnomer. The Imperials are involved. The Rebels are involved. The, you know, the Huts are, it looks like in this latest issue, the Huts are going to declare war on the Empire. Does that feel like that happened before Return of the Jedi? Right? I, I, that's, that's the problem with this, right? I don't feel like the characters in Return of the Jedi lived through this War of the Bounty Hunters. Not at all. If they had just kept Vader out of it, if they had just kept the Empire out of it and just made it be a bunch of scumbags fighting over Hans, um, basically, is, is, I keep wanting to call it his body, but he's not yeah, dead. Yeah, he's not Hans, dead, but it, it, it seems like it. <laughs> the, slabo, the, the, the Slabo Solo. If it was just bounty hunters fighting over it, it's okay, but now we got Vader involved and Luke involved and there's going to be an encounter with Luke and Vader and I'm 100% against any contact between Luke and Vader between Empire and Jedi. Right. I don't believe that should happen at all. No. In, in any of these stories. And I don't know how far it's going to go, but this has always been a problem. They want to tell these big stories and uh, the movies don't reflect that. And even though I love the books and the comics and all this stuff and, and the stuff we talk about, the original three movies are still the Bible for me. I would prefer if it lined up a little bit more. And, and I feel like maybe this is getting a little too big and it's going real slow, guys. They're still doing the auction. God, really? In this latest issue, they just kind of wrapped it up. Um, but there's only, you know, like a little month and a half to go. I'm still enjoying it every week. I will say, and I said this last time, I wish I had an option. I wish that every Star Wars book coming out wasn't High Republic or War of the Bounty Hunters. I wish there was at least the main book telling a different story. 
because if you don't like War of the Bounty Hunters, say you're still pissed off at Amelia Clark for burning down King's Landing and you can't stand to read it, you're out of luck. You should out of luck. So this past week, I was supposed to come down to Atlanta and go to Dragon Con with you guys. We were going to have a panel. We were going to do other panels. I was going to see you guys really drunk. And uh, I decided not to come because of COVID and also then a tornado hit my house. So, you know, act of God, I guess. But I'd like to hear what your what your Star Wars experience was like at Dragon Con this year, because both of you guys went. Beth, Beth, would you like to go first? Because <laughs> I went to a lot of Star Wars things. And strangely, I found myself alone a lot. <laughs> okay, so absolutely not my fault. Um, I have hormones, and I had what I will nicely refer to as lady problems on Saturday. I took about 20 ibuprofen before noon and couldn't get out of my bed literally all day. Oof. I was doubled over in pain, crying and telling everyone to leave me alone. Even Timothy's on? I missed everything because I had to stay in the bed. That was the only way I was going to make it through the rest of the con. And I basically just took like some sleeping pills and forced myself to just sleep through what would have been waking misery otherwise. So, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, you guys can't really relate. Probably nobody listening to this podcast can relate. So just take my there's word for no, it. There's got to be. There, I, there's there's women. Liz. I, I, I know of at least one okay. female that listens to this. To, to that one other woman that listens. I'm sure she can relate. I, on the other hand, have no excuses and got oh my bunch of God. Oh, I'm going to hormone all over your ass next time I see you. I went to several panels with Zahn and Anderson um, Kevin J. Anderson. I also really randomly Friday before the panels had started was walking through the dealer's room and at the stupid L. Ron Hubbard Battlefield Earth thing they do every year. Timothy Zahn was standing there. <laughs> and so... Was Timothy Zahn there getting clear? Uh, it, was he getting his thetans tested? So here's the thing. He knew those people. And I guess, you know, Ooh. probably... From cons. The convention circuit and all that. Yeah. Like he was other friends. But, you know, I got to stand and talk to him and his wife for a few minutes. He was super nice. Got to take pictures with him. And, you know, we chatted about the new book and stuff, which was really cool. Um, so let's get to my notes from Dragon Con. Just interesting things I learned. So on the awesome Star Wars panel, it was Kevin J. Anderson and Zahn. And this other lady named Anne Margaret Lewis. I felt kind of bad for Miss Lewis. Um, she had written, she wrote that first uh, Aliens visual guide back in the 90s. Oh, wow. And That's so she, old school. Yeah. So, she, I mean, she had written that, but she's on a panel with Anderson and Zahn. And so right. nobody was asking her any Aww. questions. Uh, Anderson explained that he was trying to get Star Trek when he first got Star Wars. Um, and Zahn said that too, that at that time, Star Trek was the big books and that they were both nervous about taking star Wars. Um, Zahn said it took five months between like being approached with Bantha and Lucasfilm to finally get a contract going. And then when they did him and Anderson said, both of them, the research material they were sent was just the West end role-playing games. What have I told you? What have I told you? All of Star yeah. Wars is in those books. Yeah, and that's what they said. And Anne Margaret Lewis said that too, is that she got the same thing. And they were told like, yeah, here you go. And that's why you see a lot of those early books. A lot of that West End role play stuff is in there because that's what they were using. The entire Star Wars, I'm telling you, the entire Star Wars galaxy 
is in those books. Like the, the DNA of it, the, the DNA of it is in those books. I've got them all. Yeah. The DNA is there. Because it was a very weirdly, de- it was, sorry, it was a very ill-defined yeah. world that they had to define for you to have adventures in. Right. So they had, they had to do things like, how do blasters work? You know, and they mm-hmm. just kind of ended up building the, the groundwork for the galaxy. They particularly talked about the maps, too, and the planets yes. and all the hyperspace stuff. That's kind of where they got that. Um, Anderson talked about one of his favorite moments, you know, after the movies came out was the first time Maul with the double saber, um, cause Anderson created the double saber. And so that was really cool to see. Zahn talked about how things are kind of circular right now with Star Wars and how he writes. So like the Ahsoka maneuver and Jason and Montanus and Mando, like, things happen in his books and they see stuff on the show and then he brings it in. And so it all kind of circles that way. And he says, he has lots of ideas about Mando and all Mount Tannis, especially, and that no one's asked him. Well, well. <laughs> yeah, well um, Anderson said right now he doesn't have any star Wars plans. Um, yeah. I was going to ask about that. Like he, he always seems to be doing star Wars book panels, but he hasn't written a star Wars book in 25 years. Yeah, he said he's swamped with whatever he's doing now, but he does keep up with everything. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I like him. I, I, I just uh, it's just funny because it's been a very long time since we got a Kevin J. Anderson Star Wars book. But he 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 is one of the big architects of the expanded universe, though. He really yeah. is. Yeah. Zahn has been specifically told that he cannot use Mara Jade. He has pitched things on her. He likes to use the phrase and he used it in all the panels I saw him on. He calls it a uh, Filoni's basement and Right now, Mary Jade and Thrawn and all of them are in Filoni's basement, and he can't touch them until he's allowed to. Right. It was interesting when they talk about Disney Star Wars, whenever they talk about what they can use and who's in control, it's never Disney says, it's never Lucas says, it is always Filoni. They say Filoni's name so much. It's very clear who's in charge over there. We noticed that in Gary's interview with uh, Zon. Mm-hmm. We noticed that then, right? That he he said, well, with Filoni lets me. Yeah. Zahn said one thing he really does want to do, a follow-up book, is he would like to do a book just on the politics of the Chiss. Bring it. And <laughs> All that's the Chiss. something, yeah, he's like real interested in. They talked about a lot of that on his solo panel. The Arlani Ascendancy. I'm here. Ready Hell for yeah. the Arlani Ascendancy. Zahn, um, it was interesting hearing how he writes, because a lot of people were asking like, well, you know, when you wrote this, were you planning on going here, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of what Zahn said was that the way he writes is he doesn't plan them out. So like he will do just enough to explain what it is right then and why he needs it and doesn't have like future plans for it. So that way later he can adapt it as he wants to, which is kind of a neat way of writing, I guess. Zahn did a lot of talking too about how he can fit all the new Thrawn stuff into canon. Like in his head, he says with very little changes, he can fit Heir to the Empire and everything he's doing into canon. And he purposely, when he writes the new books, they are designed to fit into old canon somehow. I was thinking about that today. Mario? That what if we are heading towards... The Thrawn we know at some point. Maybe it's not exactly five years, but maybe we do get a story where he... Who's to say there can't still be more stories, right? 
And so that's what he kind of said. He said Mando takes place this number of years. The years are off, but he can make it fit in another part of the galaxy. Well, he told me that in 2014 before the new canon even existed. Like his mind is constantly working on how to fit his stories into whatever's happening. He's ready. Uh, let's see. Somebody finally, or finally, I'm sure he's been asked this a lot, but someone asked if uh, he did name Thrawn after himself, which I believe we've talked about. Yeah. Um, turns out Thrawn is a Scottish word for twisted. And the man from Uncle, which he's really big into, the bad guy's name was Thrush. And so that's kind of where he got it. Still rhymes, though. Yeah. Still rhymes. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Oh, Zahn, they asked who he wanted to play Thrawn, which is apparently a question he gets every single panel he ever does. Um, but he said he supports, uh, what's his name? Uh, Lars Mikkelsen. Yeah, Lars Mikkelsen. He thinks he'll be good, but in his dream, and he thinks he might be too old now, he always envisioned Jeremy Irons. That's who I was about to say. That's exactly who I was about to say. <laughs> it's exact. I was, I was. I was like. I was like. Mentioned Jeremy Irons because I've like always thought it was Jeremy years, Irons. He's twenty years too old now. Oh no, he's way too old now. Yeah, but if he if he did it like mocap though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anderson. Oh, this is a good thing. This is just something that I thought was really interesting. Anderson was talking about the prequels and was talking about the fight with Darth Maul and he was talking about how watching it, it left him uneasy and there was something about it. He didn't like, and he said what he figured out later is it was two Jedi teaming up on one Sith. And that that is what makes that scene not as good because you shouldn't have two good guys on one bad guy because it places them as kind of, not the aggressor, if that makes sense. It was a lot better when he said it, but I thought it was really interesting. No, I, I can see I can see where he's coming from, but to be fair, Maul had two two swords. That is true. Uh, let's see. Zahn talked a little bit about lesser evil, um, just that we are going to get a whole lot more family politics. Um, we are going to see what happens. Bring when it. it when a major character switches families and that's going to be a major plot point. And he did announce before the date, before it came out officially that the book is much longer than the previous ones. Good. That was followed up by the leak for, I guess the listing of it. That dang book is 567 pages. (laughs) Longer the better. We may have to push it a week or episode. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's fair, but I, I am happy to read a longer Zahn book because I felt like his last several books have been too short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to be the nerd on the internet when that got leaked and people were like, that's probably a typo. And I was like, well, at DragonCon. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Actually. He did say that Lucasfilm told him that Cezella, you know, the home planet for the Chiss, um, one of the weird notes he was told when writing it, that it had to stay an ice planet. He was not allowed to change it. Like he could change hmm. a lot of stuff, but it had to be an ice planet. And there are going to be plot points. And I have not caught these. Listen, we got five kinds of planets. All right. We got five kinds of planets. You got to pick one of them. It's an ice planet. Apparently there are things in the old books and specifically this one that still links it to old Republic books. Hmm. Um, 
some I want to go back and look at that. Uh, he said he wants to pitch. He has an Ezra pitch. Um, his pitch is that basically him and Thrawn team up, and he convinces him that there's worse things out there than what's going on, and that Ezra could potentially teach the Skywalkers more. And so that's kind of his angle on it, is that Ezra <sighs> could be used that way. You know, I, I think he's... I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Hey, eventually they have to answer the Luke Ezra Ahsoka question. Well, yeah, yeah. but I don't know that that's the answer. Uh, let's see. Two more things. Two that are <laughs> things we have talked about at length. Okay. One of the big revelations. Turns out the name Skywalker is not a mystery. There will be no reveal. There is no nothing right now. He just likes the idea of Anakin recognizing the word. I was like, oh. All right. I'm okay with that. Right. Yeah, I'm fine with it. That just shows yeah. that we overthink this crap way too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then my final note that, well, there was two. Uh, he said there possibly will be Chiss in High Republic at some point. And then one of the big things we talked about, especially in the last couple of episodes, the story group is nudging authors to talk about hyperspace. He said that sometimes they kind of give you notes on things that they want you to go over. And hyperspace is one of them. My my many questions might be answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't think we get a prize for that because it hasn't been solved. No. But yeah, <laughs> no, that's exactly what we said. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, like all my interactions with him were really pleasant. My only thing that was god awful is this jerk that was around me all the time. Somehow he was a <laughs> line near me. He like sat behind me at a panel, and it was some kid who was like in his mid twenties. And he would loudly talk every time he could about how much Disney canon sucks. That was the guy you were messaging me about? My God, I wanted to punch him in the <laughs> face. All he did was like loudly talk about how new canon is terrible. And he told me, and I quote, I haven't read The High Republic and I don't want to. Because to me, it seems too preachy. But you don't know anything about it. And I looked at him and I go, oh, Unlike the space Nazis from the other books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't you outrun him? I thought you said this thing was fast. Watch your mouth, kid. You're going to find yourself floating home. We'll be safe enough once we make the jump to hyperspace. Besides, I know a few maneuvers. We'll lose them. Here's where the fun begins. How long before you can make the jump to light speed? Take a few moments to get the coordinates from the Navi computer. Are you kidding? The rate they're gaining? Traveling through hyperspace ain't like dust and crops, boy. Without precise calculations, we'd fly right through a star or bounce too close to a supernova and then an injured trip real quick, wouldn't it? What's that flashing? We're losing a deflector shield. Both trap yourselves in. I'm going to make a jump to light speed. Hyperspace prospecting. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear prospectors, I, I picture grizzled old... 1949ers with the gold treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah. I I picture some stereotypical gold prospecting characters from the old timey West, but these are hyperspace prospectors out hunting for fresh new hyperspace lanes that exist between the known beacons. And, and I didn't want to do this because I sarcastically or 
am trying to be obtuse, don't understand how hyperspace works. I legitimately do not understand hyperspace. At one point, Syl says, I'm a pilot. I know how hyperspace works. And I was like, well, can you explain it to me then? Because I don't. How are, how, how are hyperspace lanes private? As one of them asks. I don't know either. Somebody explain it in the book, please. In any book, anywhere. They're also kind of writing themselves into us asking all these questions. Like way back, you know, it was just hyperspace. That's how you went places. Right. I never questioned it until they started making things really specific. Yeah. It always reminds me of that uh, insane clown posse. Like I think of it every time. The magnets, how do they work? Every time I think of it. When I was driving home from work thinking about this episode tonight, I was like, how do they work? Oh, miracles. Okay. Miracles. I would have accepted miracles as an answer for how hyperspace lanes work. Absolutely. <laughs> but you started explaining it. Now you can't stop. So come on, Star Wars. Give me something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they're very intent. This, you know, we'll, we'll talk about in the book today, but they are going in all in on the hyperspace and kind of the mystery behind it, I guess, which we'll talk about later. But I know, Chad, you know more about how it worked in the legacy. Yeah. Like with a lot of science fiction or fantasy type things, you have to take a leap. So the leap you have to take is this. There is a hyperspace drive. It's a technology they have that puts them into this shadow galaxy that manages to exist in the same place as our own, yet in a different kind of almost plane of existence as our own. You just have to kind of accept that. There's no like, um, how does a hyperdrive work necessarily? <laughs> There, there wouldn't be if they hadn't started in down this path. I would have accepted it. I could have taken that leap. The process of how you get to hyperspace, though, don't worry about that. Oh, I don't. We have a magic little box that gets us to hyperspace. Fine with that. It's, it's, it's like the flux capacitor. This is what makes time travel possible. It's very expensive. That's all you need to know. Yes. Like, you got to have a lot of credits. It's above my pay grade. That's fine. But hyperspace allowed you to move at exceptional speeds. How? I'm not, I'm not sure. Wasn't it? And I'm trying to, it's been so long since I've really looked at it. But I know, I remember it had something to do with like, when you went to the shadow, whatever, it like bent space a little bit. Yeah. And so that's yeah. why you had to do the calculations because that's why you couldn't do it too close to anything or you'd slam into it going. Yeah. Because of the, the gravity. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. Or, or. You know, now a lot of the stuff about hyperspace came out in the role playing games because in the 80s, when West End Games was publishing their role playing games, they needed rules for hyperspace for gameplay reasons, right? Because players were going to want to get into ships and they were going to want to fly around the galaxy. So I actually have my, my manual here and it has a table of of like distances, how 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 long it takes to get between planets and stuff. And we're talking, you know, hours and days that it takes to get from like, if you go to this book, it says it takes eight hours to get from Alderaan to Bespin, but it takes a full day to get from like Tatooine and Endor, like 24 hours. Like now there's not the hyperspace they're representing to us right now. And, and, and yes, this idea of hyperspace scouts has been around for a long time. People that would go out into the frontier and, and because what you need is a clear route because, because the gravity can affect your ship you need a clear route. And so you have you would have people go out and their job would be basically to fly blindly through hyperspace 
um, at great risk to themselves, just like a lot of explorers do, and try to map out very distinct, clear routes through hyperspace that were safe to travel through. And that kind of became a thing. That's what started the great Sith War 5,000 years ago in the comics as a couple of hyperspace scouts stumbled into the Sith Empire. What they've been doing recently, though, the hyperspace is becoming the Force. Yeah. They're merging them. Yeah, there's something there. Well, we've got the Pergils, right? The big space whales. Mm Mm-hmm. And Rebels, right? We've got uh, other, even think about things like the World Between Worlds, which is, again, another plane of existence, could almost be seen to exist in hyperspace. They're definitely trying to build it into something new. So your confusion is, I think, completely earned. But at the same time, like Ryan was saying, I think they're I think they're confusing us on purpose. Yeah. So they are building to something, presumably. High Republic has been so much about hyperspace. Mm -hmm. So much. Now, the problem with hyperspace in the movies is that... Can't skip through it. There's no consistency. Well, I don't (laughs) care about hyperspace skipping. That's dumb. But there's no consistency to it. Yeah. We talked um, a couple episodes ago, actually, whenever, when we were talking about the Bad Batch and making fun of anybody who tried to bring up time in Star Wars. But it is a big problem. Like, I have no idea how long any of the Star Wars movies takes place. I have no idea, you know, how long it takes to get from one place to another. In the movies, hyperspace is little finger. It shows up when it needs to show up. It works when it needs to work. It doesn't just don't try. Just don't try to think about the actual travel time. Doesn't matter where you are, you can get there instantly. It used to be in the expanded universe. You couldn't communicate with people while they were in hyperspace. Yeah. And now now you see it seems like you can. All that stuff is very vague. You, you take the core concept, you just kind of keep it. But it does look like they are trying to connect it to the living force. So the nearest I can figure right now, I think, is there's two different kind of ways to do it. There's your nav computer beacon hyperspace, and those are your set lanes. Nothing is ever going to be in the way as long as you're on these. The other side of that is the newer thing with the Pathfinders and the Chiss and Santeca in this with the Paths and possibly Vernestra now, that certain Force users can go into hyperspace and essentially use the Force to navigate through lanes that don't have to be consistent, that they can somehow sense like, I mean, time obviously is a big thing, right? Cause they talk about it. Like a nav computer is always going to take you on a lane where a planet is never going to come in the way with its orbit. Well, now with the force, you can real time or some of these people can when the planet's not going to be there. And they kind of talk about the chist where they talk about, she's making subtle movements with her hands while going through hyperspace. Cause she can use, I guess that precog kind of function. And which I guess is, you know, Santeca's kind of doing too. Um, Because they are specific. She gives them paths that can only be used at certain times. I mean, that is somewhat consistent with even Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have this Jedi Wayfinder thing, but it takes a Jedi to necessarily, although it doesn't because then the entire fleet gets there. So whatever. But (laughs) it takes a Jedi to find the path way through, I guess. Mm -hmm. Again, all that stuff is still so... Yeah. Hashed, so slapped together. Who knows what they're trying to say? But, but, um, but I, no. There's always been a little bit of that where, mm-hmm. where, like you're right though that they're doing it in real time, and so they can react, mm-hmm. um, and, and so they can take more direct routes. Right. And I think with the prospectors, you know, Betsy brought that up. Like uh, my understanding, I think how they do that now is basically these people went out in ships and essentially hyperspace skipped more or less. I just hope they didn't run into things and charted these courses and then filed for intellectual property rights on them. 
And so you had to buy them. They make them NFTs. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, and they make money doing that. They sell them to corporations like the Sentecas, right? Mm-hmm. They sell them to corporations like Kuat Drive Yards, like the big the big corporations that 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 can that can copyright and and police these hyperspace routes. You know, yeah. It is also what allows. And, and this, there's a little bit of this in this book, kind of a prelude to the interdictor cruisers of the Empire mm-hmm. that, that pull ships out of hyperspace. But they can do that kind of because there's only certain lanes you can be in. So if there's a known lane, they can park in a known lane and pull ships out of hyperspace. Which they didn't target. Yeah. Which is another reason why finding more obscure lanes that are then more dangerous lanes are what smugglers do. Smugglers have their own routes, their own little um, uh, cut throughs, but they're more perilous because they're not as well established because even because the major hyperspace lanes are even maintained. If an object appears to be getting to like, they'll move objects out of its way. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the Kessel Run really is. Is right yeah. is yeah it's a shortcut. yeah it's a shortcut that it's real dangerous because the route isn't set all the time, but it's real fast right because it's a straight line hyperspace line lanes don't move in a straight line right you may have to you may have to go you know think of it as a think of it as a two dimensional like you know north south east west map you know if you are um if, in order to go into the south east quadrant you may have to go north first. Mm-hmm. And then south on another lane, right, to catch the major lanes. And they have names for these lanes. They're basically the the the, the super highways and the freeways of Star Wars. All that being said, that is that is the I'm writing a book or I'm playing the role playing game or I'm really trying to get down to the nuts and bolts of it. Ideas of how hyperspace works just as a technology. The movies do not care. It is simply a plot device. As a technology, movies. I don't care either. But as a part of the force as they seem to be indicating as something bigger and more important and these paths are much more meaningful than just technology then then I do care and if they're going to start hinting at things then then I need to know more about it and and I guess if if they are building up to something then great because right now I'm just I'm lost and I'm confused as to why something is such a big part of a story and is so impossible to understand. It was intentionally ill-defined because it was just a storytelling tool. And a way to show a really cool visual. Yeah, it's a very (laughs) cool visual. It's a way to explain the fact that they're traveling around a galaxy. They have to get places. You know, it's just just their version of warp speed from Star Trek. Uh Remember, Star Trek predates Star Wars by a decade. Oh, yeah. And I never questioned how they flew around... I never questioned what warp speed was. It was just like, oh, they have warp drives. Cool. What's happening, like you said, now is that there's a, a gener- this generation of authors, or or maybe it's just the High Republic people who started this. But there have been there have been times in the past where people have done this. I mean, look at what Thrawn has done with the Skywalkers. Yeah, right. right. Even in Legacy, they kind of went into it. And in Legacy books, like you know, in New Dawn and the Bane books, they talk about getting into the deep core is not the same anymore. Yeah. To get to Tython, which, again, you know, they've kind of written that off. It used to be really hard to get there because the routes got destroyed. They've decided that they're going to – and High Republic, it seems, has made the decision to make it a big part of the story. I don't mm-hmm. think we're supposed to completely understand it at the moment. We're, I, I don't think the characters in the book understand it at the moment. I think, one, it's acting a little strange, but also it, it's – they're still learning about it too, you know? <laughs> they don't really know how it works. They just know how it works. You know, they don't know why it works. They just know, they know, I do this, I do this, I do this, I get here. Mm-hmm. But they don't exactly know how. 
I do kind of like it out of the shadows. They go into almost like a net neutrality argument with yeah. hyperspace <laughs> and the Republic. Some people are probably being like, yeah, y'all don't need to own these. These are for everybody. Come on now. And, and I think in the, even in legends, there were some that were private, some that were public, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's the, the Hydean way, which is the, one of the big North South ones. There's the Carillion trade spine. Um, you know, they all had these kind of cool names and then the little ones would have these little like smuggler kind of code names and stuff. If you, if you look up, if you go back to like the, uh, the Star Wars Essential Atlas, uh, which is technically Legends, but it gives you a really good idea of of the hyperspace lanes and where they run and why it would be why it would take longer to get from certain areas of the galaxy to the others, you know. And the ones that are more off the beaten path, the ones that aren't on the big trade routes, take longer to get to and are harder to get to. As far as this goes, yeah, I think they're saying it. it it's linked to the Force. Yeah, in some way. That's Don't easy, know how. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be where Vern's story is heading. Yeah, it, it seems like I think it seems like that's where the whole High Republic is heading. Speaking of Vern's story, the galaxy celebrates with the dark days of the hyperspace disaster behind them. Chancellor Lena So pushes ahead with the latest of her great works. The Republic Fair will be her finest hour. A celebration of peace, unity and hope on the frontier world of Valo. But an insatiable horror appears on the horizon. One by one, planets fall as the carnivorous Drenger consume all life in their path. As Jedi Master Avar Chris leads the battle against this terror, Nile forces gather in secret for the next stage of Markeon Rose diabolical plan. Only the noble Jedi Knights stand in Rose Way, but even the protectors of light and life are not prepared for the terrible darkness that lies ahead. There are about three to four books happening inside this book. There's there's at least a couple of different stories before they all start coming together. And they do eventually all come together, but to start with, we've got at least three to four different stories happening at any one time. We will begin with Sylvester Yarrow, who is not having a great time. Six months ago, her mother was killed by the Nihil, leaving her absolutely devastated. Now all she's got left is a rapidly decaying ship, an already decayed droid, and a co-pilot without a personality. Her day gets even worse when her ship is pulled out of hyperspace and taken by the Nihil. All she can do is try to escape and spread the warning, the Nihil are coming. Vern and Imri, meanwhile, are chilling on the Starlight Beacon when good old Wreath shows up. Just as she's about to FaceTime with her old master, Stellan Geos, she and Imri have a job waiting for them on Coruscant. Even though Vern doesn't want to leave, she proves she is the awesomest of Jedis by constantly doing her duty. It turns out that Wreath and his new master, Comac, after Master Douglas died, I think in Test of Courage... I don't remember anymore. There's so many books happening right now. They are also needed on Coruscant, so they team up for a Jedi road trip. It's probably not the most comfortable ride since Vern is hiding her hyperspace visions, Imri is hiding his empathic abilities getting stronger, and Reed seems to be hiding that he's noticing girls, while Master Comac is probably just sick of everyone hiding all this crap. 
When a distress call comes from a nearby planet, the Jedi, being Jedi, answer. On the planet Takei, there is no one left to fight the Nihil. What defenses they had are gone. All that's left is a lone Jedi master and a girl who probably used to be plucky before she saw so much death. Now she just has the worst case of galactic PTSD ever and a super cool Pikachu-like electric cat, which sounds silly, but it's absolutely not. It sounds awesome. But it turns out this girl is also a Santeca Marshal and decides to join the Jedi on their trip to Coruscant to get help from her rich relatives. We also have Nan the Nihil sucking up to Martian Rowe after he has murdered a whole lot of people on Valo and I guess boulderized and then crumbled to dust Loden Great Storm. Still worried about Bell, you guys. Bell will be fine. No, he won't. Nan is given a special assignment by Martian Rowe. She is to take his pet doctor and his oracle on a secret mission. Thinking this is either a great way to prove herself or a quick way to die, Nan takes the job no matter what. She is a survivor after all. Back in story A, Syl's been alone on Coruscant. Her co-pilot and droid conveniently dropped off somewhere else to wait for her. She is getting the runaround, or just flat out ignored, by all of the officials from the Republic she approaches to warn about the Nihil, until she's approached by a super sassy Xylan Graf, who I picture is looking like Space Elton John, or maybe just Elton John from the 70s without all the feathers. He talks Syl into joining him in presenting her evidence to a doctor who thinks Syl's mom is a very much alive, tactical evil genius, and a senator who just wants to bring the Grafs down a peg because she's also a Santeca. The senator, who happens to be Avon Staros's mother from one of the young reader books, I can't remember anymore, again, lots of books coming out right now, brings in the Jedi, Vern and Imri, who Graf calls children and takes as an insult, which it was obviously intended to be. Not if they knew Vernestra Rowe, they wouldn't. Well, no. They obviously are all underestimating Vernestra Rowe. The Jedi take off. They run into... Jordana, just as they also run into Syl. Oops, that's her ex-girlfriend, because in this big wide galaxy, everyone still knows everyone. So Syl and Jordana have an awkward reunion, while Vern and Imri go to meet the doctor who thinks that Syl's mom is a tactical evil genius, and the doctor explodes. So now everyone gets together and goes with Graf to look for hyperspace anomalies and Syl's dead mother, including Wreath and Master Comac. So instead of taking them straight to where they're supposed to go, Graf takes them to his grandma's space station where they're ambushed by Nihil. Their super funky gas takes out the Jedi and Jordana, but Syl comes face to face with her mom who is very much alive and a tactical evil genius who has teamed up with the Nihil for reasons. The Padawans and Syl are taken while the Jedi and Jordana wake up in Grandma's house. She says that Xylan is working with the Nihil, but she has absolutely no part in it. Grandma is a liar. Vern and Jordana head to the Nihil ship, where Jordana's PTSD kicks in big time, and she slaughters a whole bunch of Nihil. Then they find Mari Santeca, who I guess is dead, but somehow still there and at least is not a Force ghost. She gives Vern one last path and then finally fades away to peace, I guess, 
because it's pretty horrifying to think that she's been kept in some kind of suspended force animation this whole time. Seems to be about right. Yeah, but I think that's right, but it's still horrifying. Then they find Imri, Wreath, and Syl. Everyone is trying to escape the ship, but Syl decides she has to confront her mom, who escapes anyway with Nan, to go back to her financial backer, Grandma Graf, who is happy to turn Zylan over to the Republic for justice. Master Komak is probably ready to get Wreath away from girls. Imri and Vern are going to be okay working together to overcome their problems, and it sounds like that's sappy, but it absolutely isn't. Syl and her former ex, now current girlfriend Jordana, have a new ship, an electric cat, and are on their way to get the co-pilot and crappy droid before they fly off into the sunsets, heading for Takodana for some reasons. But I guess we got to tie everything together and at some point we'll see Maz as well. She is like a thousand years old. She is a thousand years old. I mean, we do also meet Master Yaddle in this book. And I read a complaint that she didn't talk right. Someone was complaining that Yaddle didn't talk like Yoda. I saw that. Who gives a shit? Well, maybe Yoda has a speech impediment. God, leave him alone. Maybe. It could be. I don't think you need to call attention to it if he's got a speech impediment. I think that's rude. Vernestra Rowe closed her eyes and breathed deeply. The Miri Allen's green face smoothed, the frown of concern she usually wore melting away. Leaving the markings at the corners of her eyes, six tiny diamonds arranged in two vertical rows, uncrinkled for once. The tiny trickle of a babbling brook grew into a steady stream, which in turn grew into a rushing river, pouring into the wide sea that was the Force. Every Jedi perceived the Force slightly differently, and for Vernestra, it had always been a waterway that connected all life in the galaxy. I ended up reading a lot of reviews, and overwhelmingly, a lot of them are not great. I think this is a very good book. I love Vern. I love Imri. I love Wreath. I like Syl and her girlfriend. I like the electric cat. <laughs> You're always going to like an electric cat. Yeah. Who doesn't like an electric cat? I love how gay these books are. <laughs> I love how gay the High Republic is because, one, obviously great to see representation, but two, it doesn't bother me one bit, but I know who it does bother, and I love it. <laughs> oh, I love that they hate it because the High Republic is gay as hell. <laughs> I was really surprised with this one because, I mean, Into the Dark was great, but, you know, besides character introductions, like, it really was kind of self-contained. Like, yeah, you know, we kind of got an introduction to the drink gear and stuff. In the station. and Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. it doesn't affect the High Republic and the big overall story. This book is major pieces. Like, the results of this book are going to completely change the older books. Like, the regular High Republic. And I yep. was kind of surprised by that. Like, just how much. I think you can skip the comics. I don't think you can skip the YA books. I think you could probably skip into the dark and catch up. You cannot yeah. skip this book. No, you can't. No. You absolutely I would say if you can't. want to read High Republic, I think you're you're priced into at the very least the adult books and the YA books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also say don't sleep on the middle school middle age books either. Yeah, they're be good. I was surprised how good they were. But all of it is quality and I, I don't understand the the bad reviews saying that this is kid stuff. It's not kid stuff because they're they happen to be teenagers doesn't make it kid stuff. No, they're dealing with some pretty heady yeah. stuff. They're, I mean, one of a twenty-year-old girl murders a ton of Nihil, 
and she is obviously damaged goods. <laughs> yeah, she does. So, all right, yep. Jordana. Did y'all expect Jordana to be Force-sensitive? No. I just, when we meet her, when her and, who does she, does she go racing with? Vern. Vern, is it Vern she's with? Yeah. I mean, she, like, flips off a cliff and, like, lands on top of the speeder and is shooting stuff. And I was like, oh, clearly she has some Oh, I just took that to her to be, like, a badass. (laughs) She did seem very special. Yeah. And she could be. I mean, she is she is a descendant of Mari Santeca. I'm not saying it's not, but I didn't I didn't detect that. The two things we know about the Santecas are they are members of something called a Church of the Force. Mm-hmm. At least eventually become members of. I don't know if they are now. Does it say they are? It doesn't say it in here. No. Se- come sequel era, they are though. Yes. Yeah. And that they're hyperspace prospectors, pioneers, uh, multi trillion credit corporations, you know. So it is possible that any one of them, I mean, there is midichlorians in their family somewhere, right? Yeah. So it's definitely possible. The thing is, because of midichlorians in Star Wars, there are a lot of people out there that are touched. They're not necessarily force sensitive. Like everyone is kind of, everyone has a little bit of midichlorians. I don't know what a midichlorian is, Chad. Are you sure you're not thinking about someone's M count? I'm talking about <laughs> midichlorians. They are little tiny bacteria that live in your blood. To interact with the force. That's, that's what they are. That's what your M count is, folks. Everyone has a little bit, which and that's the, you know, and so everybody is kind of touched and there are people that are more touched than others. And then there are people that are full on sensitive, right? That can, that, that feel it, you know, when Obi-Wan says he doesn't believe in luck, that's because like your good fortune can be, you know, your the, the little bit of force that you have, a little bit of connection to the force that you have. But we know the Sentecas can be force sensitive, so mm-hmm. that is definitely a possibility. But uh, you're right, though. Killing her off at the end—I mean, I know killing her off is probably the wrong term for it because she was very dead. But eliminating the Senteca, the basically the what were they called in Minority Report? Oh yeah, the oh the precogs, yeah. the precogs, right? That's a major thing. <laughs> well, that's—I mean—that's essentially between this and them, you know, exposing Lorna D, like. That's the end of the night. Like that using the paths is how they are successful without the paths. I think they're going to change there. But I think what I think Marshawn Rowe knows this is coming one way or another. He's known this is coming. So I think he's got other plans. I think he's done with them. I'm starting to get the feeling that the Nile are wave one characters and we're going to move away from them. Well, with with Lorna D being presumed to be the leader. Uh, I see her going out, and and I don't know what Tempest Runner is about. It could be her story before she has her big fall. Because I assume he's going to let her take the heat, and he's going to go off with his super weapon and his paths that he already has and, and go do his whatever big plan he's got before he gets taken out eventually. I just get the feeling that the Nile are on their way out. Like, I think the wave three that starts in January, they're going to defeat him kill Lorna D and be like, yay, we're the big winners. And meanwhile, Rose got his leveler force stick and he's going to do something else. It's going to be his own thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, that's I see definitely that. possible. Cause I'll admit like space, pro- space war boys going to get old after a while. You it know? doesn't have a lot of legs on it. It's not going to carry no. him far. Yeah. No, I mean, they're basically, they're kind of like the Reavers from Firefly. They're kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think they're cool villains. I don't know if they're cool villains for the next three years. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they're, no, they're not. And, you know, they've set up the graphs with the matriarch. Like, they're building the weapon. You know, they've got... Oh, and they still have the Drengear. Right. 
I mean, at some point, somebody's going to have to do something about the Dringir because right now they're still a huge threat and they're wiping out entire planets, but we don't really seem to be talking about that much. That's the comic books. That's the comics. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's all the comics are right now. Because Syl and, and Jordana and a lot of the people like her out there in the Republic are pissed off that, especially Syl, that the Jedi are screwing around looking at hyperspace lanes when they should be fighting the Nihil. The Jedi can walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, I, I don't know. I feel like some there's little hints in this book about the Jedi and the Republic. And there's a line that... Who says it? Jordana is one of the people pissed at the Jedi. She says that the Jedi are very, very bad at change, at adapting to the world around them. And that is true of the Jedi, definitely, that we know later. I, one of the quotes I marked from Jordana, too, that I think is going to be a lot of the High Republic, and we've talked about this a whole lot, but she does. Where is it? Oh, yeah. I think that maybe they cut themselves off from too much of life. So that the things they fight for are ideas, not people. I highlighted that one, too, because that's 100% the problems with the Jedi as we know them in the movies mm -hmm. and in the cartoons and everywhere else that we've known them before. I think this is starting to at least set up some, some hints of doubt in the Order. You know, when Vern goes to Coruscant, one of the things that she was going to do while she was there was show her light whip and explain like, eh, yeah, I'm totally using a light whip now. And Stellan kind of tells her to hide it and mm -hmm. not tell him. So I think we're seeing cracks there. There, No, I thought she hid it from Stellan. Uh, Avar, Avar Chris, Avar Chris told her not to show it. That's right. Avar Chris told her. Um, yeah. Cause she was going to show up, which by the way, I would just like to say that for all this, like in the books about Vern hiding the light whip, in the comic, Vern's cracking that thing out left and right. <laughs> like, everyone has seen the light whip at this point, Vern. Nobody doesn't know about it. I think the bigger deal is her hiding her hyperspace visions. I mean, if that's something that they need to know, then I think that's a much bigger deal than, oh, I have a, I have a lightsaber whip. Yeah. Well, and, the, you know, the conversation we've had about them kind of cutting themselves off and becoming a little more depowered, you see it with Amiri, too. Like, mm -hmm. they talk about, you know, he's got this, I don't know, empath kind of power, I guess. Um, and they're cutting it off, like telling him, like, nope, you shouldn't be using that. Like, you can use it every once in a while, but you've got to control it. Well, he he's practicing. I mean, it reminds me of I can't remember which of the X-Men had those powers, but, you know, one of the X-Men where he could use it to control people's emotions. So he's he's doing it a few times in this book where he shows them what he can do. And and they're like, oh, no, that's don't do that. You can't do that. That's bad. Whoa, whoa, whoa slow it down. Yeah, where he uses it to calm somebody at that yeah, point. Yeah, he right? doesn't and he doesn't do it in a negative way. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that could lead to a bad place. It could lead to fear and suffering and anger and dark side. These are the same people that are totally cool with for suggestion. Yeah. Uh. You are lost, came a familiar voice. And Vernestra turned around to see Master Yaddle walking toward her with a group of very serious-looking younglings in tow. The green-skinned Jedi was no taller than the little ones with her, barely reaching Vernestra's waist. The sight of the younglings made Vernestra's heart melt. 
Had she ever been that small? Oh, I was just going to bring up what Master Yaddle does say to Vern when she runs into her in the temple is... Yeah, so she just runs into Yaddle in the temple. Let's, let's, no let's big not gloss over it. Yaddle. <laughs> La- last scene in The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Killed off unceremoniously in between movies. Still don't know if that story is canon or not, but... Yaddle was always a bad idea. Yeah. But... You know, what are you going to do? You built one Yoda puppet. It didn't work. Yeah, but did you have to do something with it? Well, what they didn't realize is the second one didn't work either. No. I don't know. It's 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 funny. Yeah. I, I just, how they've now decided that we have to make Yaddle a thing. We couldn't just use it once and then let it go. No, we got to got to stay on the Yaddle. She was a Jedi master and they live, and that species lives hundreds of years. I have a hard time believing we could ignore Yaddle. Mm-hmm. She was on the council. The Jedi's long brown hair was braided as usual, and she wore the same gold and white temple robes as Vernestra. I missed my time with the younglings. I have heard great rumblings of your deeds, Vernestra Rowe. Thank you, Master Yaddle. I hope I am living your teachings. The older Jedi chuckled, as though Vernestra had said something funny, although she didn't know what. Master Yaddle rested a hand on Vernestra's arm, her green-gold eyes boring into Vernestra's. Do not reject your instincts, Jedi. Understood? I just wanted to pretend like Yaddle didn't happen. But since Yaddle did happen, Yaddle is apparently a very wise counselor who tells Vern wisely to trust her instincts, which Vern does. And that is what leads her to that weird little prospector cube that belongs to Mari Santeca, which in turn eventually leads her to Mari Santeca. What I thought was cool was also that Imri was hearing her too. So Vern knew she wasn't crazy and wasn't hearing something that, you know, nobody else could hear if Imri could hear it too. They just never had a chance to discuss it and what it really meant. And because I still don't know exactly what it really means. Eventually, I'm assuming we're going to find out because they're going to go explore this path together. I will say this about her hyperspace dreams, though. The Jedi have always been, or at least in this era and the prequel era, they're fairly suspicious of visions mm-hmm. still, right? Well, let's, yeah, let's not forget Master and Apprentice. Qui-Gon Jinn was a, a freak for his obsession with the prophecies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, which was, isn't there one character we've seen along the way that basically like went crazy because of all their... Wasn't that Sifo-Dyas? Yeah, Sifo-Dyas. Went crazy from his visions. I get why Vern doesn't say anything. <laughs> well, and this is hundreds of years before, so. Well, they, but yeah, but it's still the same. You know, they're still they still have the same apprehensions about visions, though. Because well, it's true that they are the same prophecies too. She's not the only one that hides her visions, right? She's not the only one seeing premonitions. What about uh, Elzar? Yeah. yeah. No, uh, or Stellan, one of them. No, it's Elzar. Yeah. Elzar, right? What about El- Elzar has, a, yeah, has that vision about what's going to happen during the fair. It makes him he, go bang that chick. Yeah. And he doesn't tell anyone, you know? So I I, it, I don't think it's that they don't trust each other. I don't even think it's about fracturing. I think it's it's something that they're cautious of. And that in times of great turmoil, perhaps the force is going to reach out more. But because they're, they don't like visions, they, they, they don't trust visions. Because as Yoda says, always in motion is the future. So you can get these visions, but they're really not telling you facts. They're giving you like a possibility. Well, it's at least a warning. Should we at least not like, hey, be careful of this? Because 
this is a thing that could happen. That's very true. And, and I think that that's what is happening is that more and more of them are getting these these warnings as things are getting worse. But they're kind of trained to push through them almost. You know, Vern hasn't yeah. had one since she was a kid, you know, and then and since she was a Padawan and she has another one of these force things. And it's like it wasn't like she was treated like she was special before when she had one. Let, let's be fair. When she was a Padawan was like two years ago or a year ago, even fair. That's so true. it's not like it was that long ago, because in the books, I mean, when they talk about it, it does make it seem like, oh, since, you know, since back before I became a knight back when I was a Padawan, and it makes it seem like it was a long time ago, but she just became a knight. And I, I do, I find it rough that, uh, I mean, she's a great Jedi knight, but Master Cromack sits her down and gives her the real talk. And it's like, hey, so you became a knight too soon, and you absolutely shouldn't have a Padawan this early. And I was like, whoa, that is harsh man who's trying to step into master douglas's shoes <laughs> <laughs> she needed to hear it though but i i mean honestly i i think she's awesome maybe she shouldn't have a paddle on this early but you know what are you gonna do i think this book shows she should though like i mean in the beginning she's definitely like trying to figure out what to do with him and she kind of realizes that she doesn't have to teach him everything just you know lead him on the way i did like all the talk about like that weird line she has because she's so young. Like, she's friends with Wreath. She's was friends with, you know, Murray and all these young kids. And now she's kind of on a different level than them. And she struggles with it. It's like when I was 16 and I got promoted to supervisor at the grocery store. The <laughs> and all the cashiers were older than me. Uh-huh. Or my contemporaries. And, like, the bag boys were all, like, kids I went to school with and I was their boss. Didn't go well. Vernestra twisted the yoke hard sending the escape pod careening into a spiral, like it had been hit. She pointed the nose right at an approaching Nile ship, daring it to challenge her. The craft blinked out of existence, leaving the path to the space station's docking area clear. Hold on, Vernestra yelled. She pushed the escape pod at full throttle, the docking bay approaching entirely too fast. Jordana yelped in alarm, and Remy yowled. Vernestra didn't so much land the escape pod as slam it into the landing deck of the massive station, metal screaming as the craft slammed into another ship in the docking bay before flipping end over end. Because you've got like Stellan on one side and Elzar and Vern and Kogmat kind of on the other where they're still, you know, like Master Kogmat, he doesn't want to be here. He is just wants to do his little research and look at his books. Reith doesn't want to be there either. No. He wants to fix ships and droids and stuff. Be in the library. And, and Stellan is the one who's basically become Mr. Republic. Yeah. Because, which, even, you know, all the characters in this, like Syl and Jordana, when they're disdaining the Jedi, are like, well, yeah, oh, that's the guy we saw in the uh, all over the hollow vids holding the Chancellor crying. Well, now that you say it, they're all kind of falling into roles that are not what they want. Yeah. You know, they're all being forced to, to do things that are not what they envision their life as a Jedi would be not what not what they've trained to do. And and Vern sees the cracks in Stellan. She sees that he's got big bags under his eyes and that his robes are hanging too loose on him. So even though he looks like the hero of the Republic, he's not on the inside carrying it well. He's putting on a good show right now. Yeah, and it's not a role that he should be in, but he is, you know, in in the same way that Mace Windu should not be a general but he's going to be one. I don't know, though. If any of the Jedi were going to be a general, he seems the most adept at it, and not because it's Sam Jackson. 
He seems the most enthusiastic. He about is the it. angriest of the Jedi at that time. He is. He is the angriest of the Jedi. Why didn't anyone ever do Mace Windu for a dark side check? You know. Yeah. He's real angry, especially when he gets all up in Ahsoka's face at the uh, last season. Oh, of don't Clone even get me started about that scene. Don't even get me started about that scene. Oof, citizen. He calls her citizen. Ooh. Oof. Ooh, I'm gonna throw hands with him. <laughs> He'll kick my ass, but still, I was not happy with that. <laughs> I am convinced that the writers of the High Republic have an ongoing contest of who can make the weirdest Jedi. So, <laughs> let's see. The last book we had, what's his name? Uh, Orby, the yeah. blob. Yeah. In this one, we get Nubaran, who's a storm cloud. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had to like go back and look at it again. I was like, wait a second. Is he really a cloud? And then some lightning shoots down. And I was... I had to stop and be like, is that a dark side power if you're a storm? <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, the storm yeah, is like, in charge of the docks. Does that count as shooting force lightning? Yeah, I don't know. I kept seeing that little, that Pixar short. Yeah, that did too. Where were the clouds making the babies and stuff? The storks. Uh, and he's an angry cloud. <laughs> He does yell at Vern a lot. <laughs> well, to be fair, she's a terrible pilot, and I wouldn't give her a ship either. I, I like the runner about Vern Estrup being a terrible pilot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I kind of wonder if where they're going with that is that she's a terrible pilot because, yes, hyperspace puts her in these trances, but like, I wonder if any kind of flight somewhat triggers this skill. And so it distracts her and she can't 100%, you know, fly a vector because. Or maybe she's just 16. That's true. You know, (laughs) I bet her uh, Jedi insurance is much higher than the rest of the Jedi because she's 16. My kids aren't close to driving yet, but I'm sure that's a pain in the ass. It's very expensive. The Jedi probably have like a group plan. (laughs) But it's also because she's just reckless and, and in a fun Jedi way. Yeah. You know, I always like Yoda bitching about Luke being reckless. And I'm like, the best Jedi are all reckless. <laughs> I was I really liked Syl's overall story in the book and kind of how it twisted that her mom was still alive. And even like a lot of a lot of her stuff with Graf was really good, too. Like her struggling with like, no, I totally don't need to go stay in your fancy apartment. And then she gets there and she's like, this apartment is super sweet. <laughs> like, Yeah. Well, but in the whole time she's going, she's like, I'm in over my head. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm, I just came here to register a complaint. Yeah. Basically. I No, I came to help. Yeah. Where's she my didn't gun? Come to complain. She came to help. She came to say there's something happening and you guys need to do something. And she gets caught up in this whole thing. Uh-huh. And, well, and now the graphs are something we've, or characters we've seen in the comics, I think, too. Yes. Yeah. The graphs are around. You know, it's Xylan. I thought they wrote him really well where he was kind of suspicious. But I know, I mean, I didn't see it coming all the way that they were working with Denial. Like, I thought they were kind of shady and kind of crappy, but I was honestly surprised when it came out that they were like, yep, totally us. Like, I think they us. were using his fancy capes to distract us. Yeah. I totally thought they were going to betray them. I just didn't think they were going to betray them that hardcore. Right. Yeah, I didn't. I. I didn't see it. I saw it as more subtle betrayal that would come, not like, a, hey, there's some Nihil on this space station where we're landing. 
Good luck, suckers. Yeah, I didn't expect them to be in with denial. I expected them to, you know, be con artists or something. Yeah, the, yeah. or playing their own game of, well, we've decided that we're going to take this hyperspace lane no matter what. So we're going to get rid of all you Jedi so that we can prove something or I don't know. Mm-hmm. I like that storyline, too. I like this kind of. You know, again, it's just that small galaxy thing, right? So, of course, she comes and we find out about her mom and she runs into her ex-girlfriend and stuff. So, it's very, very small world. I mean, it's got to be real hard to accidentally bump into somebody when you can span an entire galaxy. Even on Coruscant, the chances of you running into somebody you know on... It's a population of a trillion people. (laughs) You've never been there before in your life. Well, if you're going to the same place, you know... Yeah, but they didn't know that. (laughs) No, they're going to the same place at the same time for the same reason. That has happened in my life, though, yeah. where I've run into someone I haven't seen in years coming out of a football game in a city that neither of us have lived in before. <laughs> like, it's, it's it's happened. All you got to say is the force willed it, and then we move on. Yes, that's, that's all you have to do. Yeah, exactly. It's like hyperspace. You just, the, the force puts them together. Another one I liked in Sills, though, is I, you know, once we found out that old Chancy Chauncey, is that how you say her name? I, I didn't see it. You in it. I just saw it as Chancy. Chancy, Mama. Like, I kept waiting for it to be like, yeah, Mama's being kind of held against her will or Mama's being forced into this. But nope, Mama just wants to make a hyperspace weapon. <laughs> like, she's like a less scrupulous Galen Urso. Well, and I, I like that they they gave Syl enough depth to try and make excuses for her mom. Like, oh, maybe she is being held against her will. Maybe this is all a big mistake. And oh, no, my mom really is evil. Yeah, her mom just did that speech, and she's like, oh, no. I, I really enjoyed, too, that the weapon they were looking for, <laughs> Chanty was like, yeah, they didn't actually work. I mean, every once in a while, it just randomly works. And so we were trying to get this all set up. They weren't quite there yet. But they're trying to build an interdictor, right? I think. I'm not sure. Like, I went back and read it. Like, obviously, that's what the whatever they call it, the generators that are pulling people out. Like that's one of her projects. But then towards the end, they just talk about weaponizing hyperspace. And so I don't know if they are going to build one that works or if she's about to do something else. Right. Seems to be all about hyperspace, man. Yeah. (laughs) With Santeca, like I can't think of anything that Mari's power would have helped with pulling someone out of hyperspace. No. Like, I think they're doing something else. And whatever she got, whatever Chansey got from her, they weren't clear on. But it worked. She got what she wanted. Like, they're ready. Or they're going to build it with the matriarch. The path she gets at the end, is it Exegol? That's, that was my next question. What do we think this path is? Is it Exegol? Or, well, and see, at first I thought, well, right, is it Tython? But then Tython's not cut off anymore. Like no. it used to be because Elzar was on Ashla at the beginning of the last book. So they can still get to Tython. And well, in Mandalorian, obviously, they can get there. Yeah, so it can't be Tython. I don't know if they'll go to Exegol yet. I don't want it to be Exegol. And not because of the movie. Just I, I want it to be something else. <laughs> something different that we haven't already seen. I just don't know what it is. The only reason people guess Exegol is that's the only thing we know. Yeah, Maybe they'll bring back Korriban or something. Or mm-hmm. Biss or something. Yeah. Oh, no, Biss was in the core. Biss was in the deep core. But yeah, Korriban would be great. Although, it did, weren't they, haven't they been the Korriban on the Clone Wars? Yeah, you're right. They did go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did go there. Because we saw like the te- the hall of the like Sith, dead Sith, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where they're sending Vern. Traversing hyperspace the same way a Jedi traveled through the Force was a difficult thing to do. And this frail old woman had spent a lifetime 
making her way across the hidden paths of the galaxy. A talent exploited by the Nile in all the worst ways. Thank you, Vernestra said, placing her hand against the glass of the medical pod as the old woman inside collapsed in on herself. There was no longer the dual perception of the woman, of her body and her spirit. There was only her corpse, long dead, the physical form that had kept her prisoner until she could offer up one last path to Vernestra. Vern, we've got to get moving, cried Syl from the hallway. Vernestra used her lightsaber to slice through the hoses connected to Mari Santeca's pod. Alarms flashed, and the light within the medical pod went dark, hiding the corpse inside from view. And then Vernestra dashed out of the room and ran for her life. At some point, the Sith are going to come up. They just have to. Even if it's not till wave three towards the very end and we kind of find out somebody's around. Yeah, she's sending her to get some. Maybe she's going to get some sort of weapon that can beat the, whatever it's called, the balancer. So you're saying definitively that Marshawn Rowe is Darth Plagueis? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> and that's what the Acolyte's going to be about. <laughs> oh. It's actually not the worst. Um, <laughs> it's not necessarily the worst. Uh, I, I would like to see, I mean, we've seen more of the Staros family, which is nice. And I like Staros in this book. Like yeah. that kind of scene where they kind of play off the Jedi behind the door and she yeah. totally plays them to get what she wants. Like that was a nice Senate move. And yeah, see, that's, that's what shows me that the Republic is already failing is not only do they sit around and just debate constantly and, all the trouble they had in the last book with, with the, the politics of it. But the Senate thinks that the Jedi are something to be used and not used as like, Hey, we could use the Jedi to help us, but like, Oh, I'm going to use the Jedi to pull one over on this guy. I don't respect and show him how much I don't respect him by giving him Jedi kids. Yeah. I'll be curious, Beth, when you read Darth Bane, because a lot of Bane has that in there the Jedi kind of being conscripted and going to war. And it's, I mean, it's not canon anymore, but the ideas run very parallel to this, but in an opposite way, the Jedi kind of getting away from being these warriors and running the summit. Taco Donna? Syl said, gazing down at the token as she handed the note to Jordana to read. There's nothing but pirates there. I don't know. Maybe we should check it out, Jordana said. We, Syl said, and Jordana grinned. You, me, and Remy. What about your family? Syl asked, heart pounding painfully. Jordana shrugged. There are enough Santeca cousins that someone else can step in as deputy if the vassals ever return to TK. I've got my heart set on other things. I liked Basha. I always like seeing the... Uh... What are they? I can never say it Gregorian. right. Uh, Gregorian, yeah. I just like Gregorians. I think they're cool designs. I think so, too. And even though Basha was shooting people and not being helpful, I felt bad when Electro Kitty bit <laughs> Basha. I was like, oh, no, Basha. I hope you're okay. You're pretty you know? white fur. It's all covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. You've got to know Vern and Amiri and Reese's relationship. Because, I mean, I think they, they do a decent job and you can kind of understand it. But without the other two books, it doesn't have even close to the same impact of what Amiri is and why he's with Vern and all that stuff. 
I just think they understand Star Wars fans and we're going to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm saying I just think they understand Star Wars fans. I don't think there are people out there just reading the grown up books necessarily. Because whatever comes after this is, I mean, it's, it seems like it's going to be pretty vital that we know what happened in this book to see what comes next and understand what's happening in, in the next books. During my summary, I was having trouble keeping up with what happened in what book to reference because I legitimately cannot remember because all of these stories tie together so seamlessly that I don't know what happened in what book without going back specifically to reference that book. That seems to be something that Sewell and Older and Scott specifically are really into because that's exactly what's happening in the comics. Mm-hmm. In the in the mainstream comics, in the War of the Bounty Hunters, I have no idea. Like, I know when I pick up the book, like, oh, this will probably focus on these characters. But it's all just giant pieces of one mosaic. It seems to be their preferred method of Star Wars storytelling. And I, I'm not complaining. I'm here for it. It's just, it makes it tough when I'm trying to remember what happened where. I'm like, okay, was that a children's book? Or was that the grown-up book? Or was that the YA book? Or was it a comic you guys told me about that I haven't read yet? My only criticism is I do think a story can get too protracted. Um, you know, it can take too long. You know, I, I think, wasn't it Brian Michael Bendis people would ref- oh, they would talk about gosh. the idea of, of protracted tell- storytelling, you know? Yes. And I like Bendis, uh, but people aren't wrong about that. Yeah. And like with War of the Bounty Hunters, I feel like we've been stuck in the, in the same hour for the last m- two months. Yeah. Um, which can get, which is both interesting and also frustrating with these books. Like I think they've done, I think they've done a good job of giving you enough new in every book. Yeah. I think that's where we're going to see the phases really show some differentiation. Like the first wave was obviously very much about the great disaster. This wave is kind of here and there with Valos and now this, um, but I think we're going to see this general story wrap up during this phase in January. Um, and then we sh- we'll see where they go from there. I don't know. I mean, it would be great if this thing spans a hundred years. Well, I, I mean, it seems like what the acolyte is kind of supposed to be the end of it almost. And the acolyte is roughly years. 80 years ish. Yeah. 70. I, I would love if this span, you know, I, I would love if Jedi that we know now grow and get, grow old and die. Yeah. I mean, this and, book- and, and, you, and Jedi that come up in the next book that are Padawans or masters by the time we get done. That'd be great. Yeah. Old, old lady Vern on the council. Yes. I mean, this book had a decent time jump from the last book. I mean, it was, it's, uh, was it a, a year? year? Yeah. Yeah, it's a year. A year has been like gone on since Valos, which makes the comics a little confusing because they're very much still in that earlier period. Well, like I said, the free comic book day wouldn't still took place during Valos. Right. So the comics have kind of stayed there, but Out of the Shadows jumps ahead. The comics are moving much slower, but then again, there's a lot of time in between the books while the comics come out every month. So right. they eventually catch up. Yeah, the comics would have jumped ahead of the books by now. I, I don't think they can do that. I'm impressed on an operational level with what they're doing. You know, like for, forget forget art, art, artistry and the storytelling and, and the entertainment and all that's great. But I'm just impressed operationally that they've put this thing together. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have these writers that are all all accomplished writers, successful writers who are also, you know, but they're all different people with different styles and different, different kind of ways they tell stories. And so it's, it's very fascinating to see this kind of what feels like a vision 
it feels like the vision of one person, but it can't possibly because it's so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's just a testament of how well it works. And, and, you know, I know we're not done yet and maybe they'll jump the shark for now. It feels like it, it feels like a really great accomplishment and just not even Star Wars, just in storytelling. It's just a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. And, and and like I said last time we talked about a High Republic book, these characters are just great. They really are. Like, these characters are just awesome. Where is my I, – I already want – when they start making Black Series figures, there's already like eight or nine that I want. Mm-hmm. And I don't buy everything. I want a Storm Jedi, just a box with like some cotton balls in it. <laughs> <laughs> my little master neighbor in. in. In a cylinder? Yeah. Oh, Vern with a light whip would be cool. I want all of them. But to get an Elzar and to get it, I mean, an Avar Chris figure would look awesome. Yeah, I think she's probably the one we would be most likely to get. Yeah, I would expect to see her over Elzar. It just depends on how popular this gets, I guess, right? I'd love a Porter figure. A Porter, <laughs> Porter angle would be amazing. Yeah. And he comes with a little little pot of, of egg soup. That's nine egg soup. Nine egg soup, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't forget, there's nine eggs. <laughs> Nan was a survivor long before she was Nile, and maybe it was time for a short hiatus from Lord Rose's tasks. Nan's heart ached, though. All she wanted was to return to the Eye, to have him appreciate how hard she had fought to survive. And maybe one day she could. But she would need something good, some piece of information that he wouldn't be able to resist to get back into his good graces. I want to talk about Nan for a second. I think she's going to be one that they focus on a lot. And I kind of get the feeling we're going to get like a Nan wreath, like many lost stars going on. Yeah, he is he is feeling feelings about girls and he is confused about his feelings. He's got a because, crush on Vernestra, though. Well, yeah, but he's also thinking a lot about Nan. God forbid that, you know, masters talk to their Padawans about hormones. About sex and hormones. Yeah. Although Vern, Vern does talk about it. So, you know, thank you, Vern, for being young and able to talk about feelings. Nan is, Nan's interesting because she came through as much more kind of capable this time. Yeah, much like real kind of, capable. Yeah, like real tough uh-huh. uh, this time around. And like a lot more evil, for lack of a better term. You know, well, like yeah, seemed- when we first see her, she's on Martian Rose ship thinking about killing some dude because he looked at her cross-eyed. In my head, she was Maisie Williams, like postseason four Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye out on the character of uh, Crix. He's kind of Martian Rose protege. Uh-huh. He's from the comics. He is um, Zine's best friend from growing up. They live in a society that hated the Jedi. And when they discovered that she was force sensitive, she went off with the Jedi and he ends up joining the Nile. So I think keep an eye on him. He was This was the first book that mentioned him, I think. Oh. Uh. Yeah, because him and uh, Nan kind of size each other up. And that yeah. him in there. Oh, is yeah. that yeah? Is that the guy she was yeah. thinking about stabbing? Yes, <laughs> it was. He's kind of the um, counterpoint to Zine in the comics. Okay. This is gonna be it's gonna be really cool to see when they put it all together. Like even if some of it's disappointing or we don't agree with some of it, or there's so much of it that most of it's bound to be good. <laughs> it just kind of is. Yeah. Like I don't love the drink gear at this point, but you know, I don't have to, it's there in the comics and you know, I may not like the drink or, but you get to see people riding rancor. So that's kind of awesome. You get to see huts riding rancors. Boom. Mm Mike dropped. I don't need anything else in my comic books. (laughs) She didn't have to tell master Stellan everything. She was no longer his Padawan. 
and it was time to start making her own way in the galaxy. And that meant she would keep her own counsel on some things, or at least only share them with her Padawan. Come on, Vernestra said, resting a hand on Imri's shoulder. We have a ride to catch. So, Ryan, what are we talking about next episode? Two there should be, no more, no less. One to embody power and the other to crave it. Two people trying to take on the galaxy never seemed like a smart idea. So next, we're going to be reading Path of Destruction, the first book in the Darth Bane trilogy that explains how we got to the Rule of Two. Um, It's a really great trilogy. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking about it. We're going to work our way through the whole thing. Uh Uh-huh. You get lots of hunky Darth Bane. He's quite hunky. Yeah, Zayna, who has an interesting fan base. Does she? (laughs) She sure does. Okay. Does this have Lord Hoth in it? Lord Hoth is the star of Path of Destruction. We will get to talk a lot about Lord Hoth and his army of light. Because that was in a comic book first. Yeah. Having having not actually read this before, I know a lot about it and I know a lot of the characters in it, but uh, I am looking forward to finally reading it for reals. Yeah, it's real good. Mm -hmm. Um, What comic was that? I think it was just called The Jedi versus Sith that told the story. I think I think Darth, I think the book is like a retelling of the comic partially. Uh, yeah, it's called Jedi versus Sith. Which was slightly better than X versus Sever. <laughs> yeah, it came out in what? Because Jedi versus Sith came out like five years before. It's a, it's a number. It's a little bit before the book, I remember. The book covers the new Sith Wars, the Battle of Rassan, which the book is a lot of the book covers more and kind of how they got to that point. But I do believe that the book retells some of the comic Yes, when they yeah, when they get to the battle. Because yeah. they're with the bouncers and all that stuff. I have this comic somewhere, maybe I'll dig them out. Yeah, I think I might too somewhere, but I mean, do, I wonder if they have them on the app. If they're if they're part of a comp, who knows. Yeah, it is on the app. I'm about to go back and read this, yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us tonight and we will talk to you all again soon. For light and life. Yeah, the Zana. People love them, Suzanne. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.